Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on Dish Favorite Radio Station and or FM Translator. It's going to be a fast morning this morning. What's going on? Hello. Hey, how you doing? As you can tell, I got an extra day's worth of sleep, and that was worth it, man. million miles an hour. It's all good today. You ready to go? You ready to do it? You ready to uh, jump in with both feet? I don't know if I could do this every Monday because... Boom, man. What a day. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, but we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. It is Tuesday. I know. I know. Many of you feel it's Monday. But that's okay. Three-day weekend means a four-day work week. So feel good about it. Be be positive. Be good. Uh, it was actually nice yesterday. I actually got a chance to mow my lawn for maybe the final time? Question mark? I hate to say that, but that's what it is. 44 degrees this morning outside the old hacienda. Uh, it not a, a little crisp, little crisp. That's okay, though. We are ready to jump into it. Today is Tuesday, and that means the weekly top three. Uh, three big topics today from Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And then we're going to be joined uh, in hour two by Chris Story, the man from Homer, for our weekly positivity update. Oh, that's it. That was it. It's all good. I hope you had a good weekend. I hope you got a, got everything you needed to have done. And uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But first, let's just get into it and jump right in. The weekly top three. Brad Keithley joins us uh, every Tuesday to discuss it for the weekly beating. I mean, breakdown of what exactly is going on around the state and around the country and everything else. Mostly all Alaskan issues that have uh, dealings with us here. And he joins us right now. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Michael. Did you uh, spike your coffee with an extra Red Bull this morning? I don't know, man. All of a sudden, I just started talking and it just started going faster and faster and faster. It was all good. Uh, maybe it was this week. I tell you what, I turned my phone off uh, on uh, Friday afternoon and I didn't turn it back on until uh, late last night uh, to get ready. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting thing. I'm just like, nope, I'm going to turn this thing. And you know what? I didn't miss it at all. Um, <clears throat> I did miss a couple messages about, <clears throat> aren't you on today, uh, for yesterday's show, but no, I, I historically take off Labor Day and Memorial Day. So anyway, um, but yeah, just turned it off and I feel great. It's, uh, it was, a, it was, it, I didn't miss a thing. You know what? I just didn't miss a thing. <laughs> So, so what's what's Terry's reaction when you get in a in a mode like this? Is it to run to the hills? Yeah, or? pretty much. She runs away and and says, "You are so ridiculous," and then she walks away. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, it's you know she's she's 30, 33 years of this, and she's pretty much she knows all about it. So it's all good. That's great. Um, all right, Brad. Well, let's uh, let's dive into this. I mean, we got uh, we got a lot of stuff to cover this morning, and today we're going to uh, we're going to start uh, now. First and foremost is um, how the oil companies continue to, and the oil industry as a whole, 
continue to tout the fact that they are a huge part of the economy, right? I mean, we know that, but they, you know, every couple of years they throw a study together that says, well, look at how Look at how much we contribute. Please treat us nicely is what the what kind of the feeling is of it. But you say that's just uh, part of the picture for number one of the weekly top three. Hit, hit us with it here. Right. So last week was uh, the, the meeting or late last week was the meeting of the Alaska annual meeting of the Alaska Oil and Gas Association. And uh, there was a lot of uh, 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 major attendees, uh, Senator Sullivan, uh, former uh, governor, uh, Texas governor, former secretary of energy, Rick Perry, um, and others uh, came and, uh, and celebrated with them. And in part, and, and as part of it, they released a new study, a released a new study that showed how important uh, the oil and gas industry to, is, to, uh, is to Alaska. The headline uh, written by, on the Alaska Beacon by Yareth Rosen is, oil and gas companies have outsized economic impact on Alaska, says industry study. And they do. It, the industry affects Alaska in two different, primarily in two different ways. One is through the revenue flow, uh, the state's portion of the revenue flow from oil, and that stays fairly consistent, you know, declining volumes. But but it doesn't it doesn't bounce up and down a lot over time. It's sort of that's sort that's sort of always there. Then the, then there's an added piece of it when the oil industry is in construction mode. Uh, as they were with Point Thompson in the early 20 teens, as they are now with Willow, with with uh, ConocoPhillips's Willow project, and with uh, uh, Oil Search's Pika project, uh, they're in construction mode. And what construction mode really does for the industry, or does for Alaska, is it spikes the number of contracts, contractor activity up on the slope. Well, elsewhere, as they as they build modules and pieces for. Uh, that part, that the slope activity, the the construction on the slope, and then the number of employees bounce up because you have all those people involved in construction, and and we're going into construction mode now. So it's a great time for the industry to do a study like this because you've got both the the hit of the oil revenues and the hit of construction mode uh, to to factor into the equation and show how important you are to Alaska. But there's there's two things that as I read this and I read the study, there's two things that that hit me um, that I think we 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 need to balance this this importance of the oil industry with. One is the PFD has has a similar economic impact. Now it doesn't have the spike impact when you add in construction on top uh, on top of the of the revenue flow. Right. But the P, PFD is similarly important to the overall Alaska economy. Yet we never see, you know, headlines that say permanent fund dividend has outsized impact, economic impact on Alaska. Uh, that's because, because those in the legislature want to use, want to cut, use PFD cuts as a way of funding uh, government growth. And, and they don't want people to understand, I don't think, they don't want people to understand the, the outsized impact that the PFD has. So, Every time I read a story about how important the oil industry is to, to Alaska, I want to see a similar story that says how important the PFD is to Alaska, but you just don't see it. And, and the reason is politics. It's not, it's not because the economics are that vastly different. It's not because the impact is that vastly different. It's because of politics that people want to use PFD cuts for their own, you know, the, 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 the 21 plus 11 in the, in the Senate, in the House and the Senate, plus the governor want to use PFD, the PFD for themselves as opposed to sharing it with Alaska families. And that is uh, that that always irritates me when you see something about how important 
the oil and gas companies are. Well, there's something else that's similarly important, and, and we, we, we ignore that. The second thing is, yes, the oil and gas industry is important to Alaska. But headlines like this and studies like this are designed to make you think, well, gosh, we can't do anything to upset it because it's so important to Alaska. We can't, we can't look at additional taxes on it. We can't look at additional ways to, to deal with it because it's so important to Alaska. And that's not true. Right. I mean, it's, there, there are, <laughs> we, we, we have a constitutional mandate. The legislature and the governor has a constitutional mandate to optimize, to maximize the revenue flow from the state's resources for the benefit of Alaskans, not for the private benefit of companies, for the benefit of Alaskans. And the, and the way you, one should look at that, I think, is to look at, you know, look at the long term, look at the short, medium and long term and say, look, can we get more revenue without, you know, if you can tax the revenue to the point where you can tax the industry to the point where the industry stops investing and then the decline curve goes like that, and you end up with less revenues. You end up with more per unit revenues because of the tax, but you end up with less overall revenues because of the decline curve you put yourself into. But there is a sweet spot where you can where you can tax up to. And, and even if the decline curve shifts a little down because you're getting more per unit, you end up with more revenue. Right. We did a column. We did a column on that once in the Alaska landmine. If uh, if people want to understand the concept better better. But, but, but you, you need to always be searching for that, for that sweet spot. I mean, Britain does it. Britain changes taxes, frankly, about every year uh, on the oil industry as they're constantly in search of, of that sweet spot. Uh, we get locked in, we Alaska get locked in and say, well, this is, this is the right um, uh, revenue structure. This is the right split at the time. And in 2013, we hit that right. I think we hit that right revenue structure. We hit that right revenue. We, this is the right revenue structure at the time, and then oh, we need to lock that away, and 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 go on and never touch that again because it's so important industry. Well, it things change. I mean, industry costs change, uh, uh, volumes change, all sorts of things change, and and you can you can you, you should constantly be relooking at at the revenue split. Given the constitutional mandate to maximize revenue for the benefit of Alaskans, you should constantly be looking at that revenue split. And what happens is we get is we get you know headlines like this and studies like this, and people go, "Well, we can't touch the oil industry. We need the investment." Well, you know, you, you could get more investment if you drop taxes and if you eliminated taxes, you get a lot of investment. But that's not what that's not what the Constitution says. The Constitution says, you know, maximize the revenue for for current and and future. Future right. Alaskans and, it, and and studies like this always irritate me because they don't they don't have that balance in them. They don't talk about yeah. It, no one. I mean, the politicians on the stage certainly didn't talk about. It. Yes, this is great, but are we getting are we fulfilling our constitutional duty to maximize the revenue for the benefit of Alaska? Right, and this is not just you. Is I mean, again, you're an oil and gas guy, and so you understand this stuff. This is the industry you came out of. And you're advocating that there are solutions. I mean, whether it's the Hillcorp loophole or others, uh, I think between our discussions, you and I have talked about, I mean, there's four or five hundred million dollars that could still be on the table there. And that's a significant chunk. You talk about five hundred, half a billion dollars that could be on the table year after year. 
um, that are is going to the oil companies that could come to us again to maximize that benefit as per the Constitution. And that's what these 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 studies always come out. And we understand that there's an oversized impact on the economy, but it always comes out as look at us. Please don't hurt us because we don't please don't change anything because look at how much we are a part of, you know, kind of thing. You know, I guess that's the cost of doing business, but there are opportunities for us to. This is a finite resource. We have to capture as much as we can as owners. That just makes sense. And if it has to change every three or four years, again, that's just the cost of doing business. Yeah, and 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 you don't want to kill the golden goose. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to tax them to the point that that they stop investment or significantly reduce investment, so you lose money in the long term by trying to grab more in the short term. You lose money in the long term. But but if there are if there are opportunities to increase take uh, uh, government take without killing the golden goose by by maybe affecting the decline curve a little bit, but not but not so much that you're losing money long term. If there are, are opportunities for that, you should. I mean, the legislature and the governor have a constitutional mandate to do that. You could almost say, I would almost say, they have a fiduciary obligation uh, to do that uh, to look for those to look for those opportunities. And and I just don't think we are. I mean, the governor, the Department of Revenue, what two years ago. In the 2022 uh, fiscal model, included um, uh, both closing the effects of closing the the the, the Hillcorp loophole and the effect of increasing the tax rates by reducing the per barrel credit by three dollars, um, and and factored that through and didn't show any impact on volumes. So it was increased revenue, about 500 million. Uh, but no decrease in volumes uh, in 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 what they showed in the fiscal model. Now, interestingly enough, under Adam Crum, you can't find that in the, in the FY23 fiscal in the 2023 fiscal model. They took out all of those. They took out all of the revenue factors, so you can't determine that from the uh, from the 2023 fiscal model. But fortunately enough, I I downloaded the 2022 fiscal model, so I can <laughs> I can still find it. And still do the calculations, and they right. showed that there wasn't any there wasn't any impact. Now maybe maybe there is, and maybe you know maybe we need to we need to find out what that is, calculate what that is. But I don't see the 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 effort from the administration or the effort from the legislature, to be honest, uh, to go in and do the work that's necessary to to to, to maximize maximize the revenue. I will say one other thing. Part of the problem is that when we get into this subject. People go, oh, just repeal SB 21, like Joe Pascovan a few weeks ago. Oh, just repeal SB 21 and, and go back to, to go back to where we were. Well, that's wrong, too. I mean, you, you can overreach. You can kill the golden goose. This you need to you need to go at this stuff with a scalpel as opposed to a blunt edge instrument uh, and, and just, you know, say, oh, a, a billion, a billion, two million or 200 million. That's that's what we know. I mean, that's that's wrong, too. I mean, that kills the golden goose. That's that's just on the. On a on a reduced investment and on a decline curve that uh, that goes in here, I it, it is frustrating to me. It is frustrating to me that we don't see legislators going in. Uh, you know, legislators, Republican legislators, who talk about oh, we have the Constitution, this, the Constitution, that, the Constitution requires that we do this. Who, who who but who forget the part of the Constitution that says right. go you know go maximize oil revenues. Um, and reduce the burden, re- reduce the burden on Alaskans. That's that's part of your responsibility. Yeah. And it's just frustrating when we see, you know, them become cheerleaders like they were at the AOGA meeting, become cheerleaders 
for the industry instead of cheerleaders for Alaska. I mean, which side are you on? Well, um, wait, don't ask we, that question. Don't ask that question for sure. Um, all right. Uh, number one of the weekly top three. Give us a quick tease for number two quickly here. Well, number two is uh, uh, we have another editorial on we need to spend more for K through 12. This one comes from a legislator. Uh, and it's, it's frustrating for the same reasons that past ones have been frustrating for. Uh, but we're going to talk about that frustration yet again <laughs> to keep hammering it home. Wow, it must be Tuesday. All right, uh, the weekly top three, uh, The Michael Duke Show, Brad Keithley, our guest. We continue with more here in just a moment. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Okay, uh, in the break right now, uh, weekly top three. Yeah, must be Tuesday again. I've got a headache already. Uh, it's just, you know, it's frustrating for sure. Uh, let me go back here uh, real quick just to catch up on anything that I missed in the chat room. Uh, Brian, uh, <laughs> Brian, I feel your pain, Brian. Brian says over the weekend, he goes, nope, a lot of stuff did not get done. I was a slug to my shame. You know, I think it was a slug-like weekend. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I turned my phone off and I did mow the lawn. Uh, my son and I split the duties and we mowed the lawn and I cleaned up a few things and that was it. I did. I got absolutely nothing else done. I just basically let my hair down, what little is left and relaxed the entire weekend. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, it was just, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, I had a little guilt, but I pretty much put that aside. Uh, Brian said he did go to see Hamilton with his daughter. He said, great show. Thanks to Brad for encouraging my interest. Daughter was on board from the announcement, but he had to be prodded and he enjoyed it. I'm glad. I'm glad that, uh, you know, whatever, whatever makes you happy, my friend, that was the good stuff. That's wonderful. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, <laughs> he says, I'm blaming. Oh, Anthony says he's blaming the new Baldur's Gate 3 video game on my slug status this weekend. I got to tell you, every one of my friends, I was like, where is everybody? And they're all like, we're all playing Baldur's 3. Ugh, hate you all. Uh, anyway, I didn't, uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't jump on that bandwagon yet, Anthony. But maybe, maybe one of these days I'll jump on that bandwagon. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Oof, a lot of verbosity there. Uh, how was your weekend, Brad? Did you actually get anything done? I know you're you're visiting mom and everything, but uh, did you get anything fun done over the Labor Day weekend? I drove to Kansas City and accomplished two things. I saw my son, who I haven't seen in a while, um, and who's a lawyer in Kansas. And I went to the Kansas City Irish Music Festival and discovered a couple of new artists that uh, that I'd been fans of before, but had never seen live. And so I had the opportunity to see them. Four hour drive over four and a half hour drive over four and a half hour drive back, but put on Spotify and it was fine. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed the festival on the highways. Not a bad deal. You got the big highways there so you can uh, you can cruise back and forth. Did <laughs> we you got highways and we got alternate routes. If something if something goes wrong. Right. We got an alternate way to get there. You're not, the you're not stuck. But of course, you went to Kansas City. The big question on everybody's mind, I'm sure. First thing that pops into my mind is, did you go have good barbecue while you were there? First meal I had there. <laughs> First meal you had. Good barbecue, huh? 
first first meal i walked into the festival and there were there was a barbecue tent from a favorite barbecue place and i walked right over there and ordered a a, a, a burnt ends sandwich you know what burnt ends oh are. yeah and uh and uh and and rocked out on that and then the music came after all that so the first meal i had in kansas man satisfaction i was speaking with somebody from kansas city last week uh uh, uh an ad buyer or something in kansas city we got chatting about barbecue i've never been there but i've always wanted to go by there because it's like the crossroads of barbecue you know you get uh you get all different kinds of deep southern barbecue to the other kinds that you know uh, the one I want to try that I've never tried. Somebody I saw it here a few years ago was a. It's a. It's a. Uh, it's like a must. It's not fully mustard, but it's like a mustard-based barbecue sauce where a big component of it is mustard. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of mustard, and I like barbecue. I'm hungry this morning, apparently. But that was the. That's the good one. Yeah. There used to be a. There used to be a uh, a chain, and and it may still exist in some places called Red, Red, White, and Hot. Barbecue, I think, was the name of red, white, blue, and hot barbecue, or something like that. Um, and it had the, its its great thing was it had all the different styles of barbecue. So you could order, you know, Texas, or you could order Carolina, or you could order Tennessee, or you could order, you know, all different all different types of barbecue. Some of which were mustard based, a lot of which were tomato based. Some of which you put coleslaw on the top. Um, some of which you put pickles on the top. That was that was a favorite place for mine. Mm, that sounds delicious. Red, white, and blue bar- hot barbecue. Okay, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. That sounds delicious. Bre- <laughs> barbecue is for breakfast, my friends. That's what it is. All right, we're going to jump back into it. Here we go. Number two, Brad Keithley, the weekly top three, uh, the Michael Duke show. Uh, common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Make sure you like and share this show, regardless of the platform you're on. Uh, Debez, no matter where you share it from, we'll get more folks involved. Let's get back to it. Here we go. All right, welcome back from the weekend, the big long holiday weekend. We hope you're uh, hope you got refreshed and enjoyed yourself. We were all just talking about how we were all very slug-like this weekend and really did nothing. It was all fun, not productive, but fun and rejuvenative. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, joins us. That's a great wake-up call for your new week. Tuesdays into the weekly top three. We just finished up with number one. Number two is the continual cry from. Peoples, including legislators, about how we are just bad people for not spending enough on education. This article, there's so many problems in this article. I want to talk about it. It's from Rebecca Hemshoot. Uh, Brad, give us uh, give us your details on it here. Well, it's an op-ed that's in the uh, the ADN uh, headline is Alaska schools are at the center of our communities and they're drastically underfunded. Uh, it is by uh, Representative Rebecca Hemshoot, who herself is a teacher. Uh, she took uh, JKT's uh, Jonathan Christ Tompkins place uh, in the legislature from uh, from Southeast. And it's one long paragraph. I mean, this must be 800 words, maybe one long uh, screed about uh, we need more money in schools and how, you know, not doing that is failing children, failing families, failing Alaska, failing just, you know, failing everything. But here's the thing that's not in it, and and it's the and it's the thing I always look for. You know, I 
I, I go through these articles, I go through these op-eds and I can go, okay, representative, somebody who at least understands, who's supposed to understand responsibility, right? And, and they're going to tell me how much, they're going to tell me why we need to spend. And then they're going to tell me at the end, this is the, my fantasy world I live in. And then they're going to tell me in the end, who pays? Who's going to pay for all this additional money that, uh, that they want? Not a word, not one word in the entire screed about, about who pays. It's just, we need more, we need more, we need more, we need more, and, and, and we need more. <laughs> and, and by the way, we need more. And it's and and nothing about where where this money is supposed to magically come from. And so, in the silence, we know what that means, right? It means it comes <laughs> from middle and lower income Alaska families, right? So through through PFD cuts. So here here's here's what here's the message that really comes through from pieces like this. We need to spend more because Alaska families are in peril, Alaska kids are in peril, Alaska communities are in peril. We need to spend more. But we don't need to charge. But but we don't need to charge everybody for it. We just need to take money from those least able to afford it, middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts, and let the top twenty percent non residents ride free. That's the message that comes through from this. And frankly, you know that gets that just that that blows the message away from me. You know, if somebody tells me they need more, fine. Okay, explain why you need more, but then tell me who's going to pay for it, and at least be fair and say, you know, that everybody's going to contribute something toward it and a fairly even amount or a fairly equitable amount toward it. And then I'll listen. But when you just tell me we need to spend more, we need to spend more, we need to spend more. And you don't address the elephant in the room, frankly, which is who's going to pay for all this additional spending. It just, it, 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 it wipes away the message for me. I mean, I just don't, I, it, it's hard to listen to it because they, they're not, taking the responsibility to step up and say, and this is who, who's going to pay for it. So when you're left with your left, when you're left with the impression that, oh, everybody needs to benefit, everybody will benefit, sort of like childcare, right? The top hundred, those earning a hundred thousand and more, they need childcare too. Everybody will benefit, but we only want, we, we, we want to do it in a way that only middle and lower income Alaska families pay for it. It's just it loses the message, and this is this is yet another example of that sort of approach out of legislators. These are this is a this is a legislator who, by the way, um, uh, refused to support uh, Ben Carpenter's sales tax, which, while not perfect, nevertheless is a heck of a lot more equitable than PFD cuts. Refused to support Ben Carpenter's sales tax, and when push came to shove, when the budget came to the vote last legislature voted to fund with PFD cuts, voted to fund on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. So, you know, yeah, tell me, tell me how progressive you are. Tell me how, you know, how enlightened you are. Tell me how, you know, needful everything is. Tell me how you really got to work hard for Alaska families to, to, you know, make this, make these additional spendings. Uh, tell me all that, but, but your votes are telling me you don't believe that everybody contributes equally to these things. You, you believe that, that the costs ought to be shoved off on middle and lower income Alaska families. And I just, you lose me at that point. Right. Well, it's, it's always some interesting things uh, in this. You know, it's always some half-truths and innuendos wrapped up in here. Uh, partway through, she says, what's more, Alaskan educators don't receive a pension or Social Security. Well, they don't receive Social Security, but they do have the TERS system, which is the teacher's retirement system. They do have a uh, They do have a retirement, but whether it's a 
and, and I think what she's saying there is there's no defined benefits pension. It's a self-directed thing at tier four. Not all of them are tier four, obviously. But it's like these half-truths that go through there and, and talk about this. And then later on she goes and talks about the cost of Alaska spending, how it's more than than many states, but you got to adjust. And once you adjust, we spend less uh, than the average, uh, the national average. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> we are spending more even in some of the main cities than they're spending in other states. This is not just a rural Alaskan problem. Yeah. Yeah. The, the defined contribution, defined benefit argument is always sort of humorous. I, I mean, during my career, I had defined contribution, right? I mean, I set money away as I as I went along uh, 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 into a four hundred one k or uh, to to you know prepare for retirement to have a to have what I needed in retirement. I you know I survived somehow. Uh, other people, I mean, all of my cohorts through my career had four hundred one ks as well uh, in the law firms, and that's and they survived. Um, so it, it always, I mean, what they're really, what, what, what the argument really is, I don't want to, they're saying, I don't want the risk of my retirement. I want, I want the state to guarantee my retirement, uh, through a defined benefits program that I will have a certain benefit and the state will guarantee that even if the stock market, even if the investment market doesn't produce, uh, doesn't justify that return. I want that guaranteed, uh, as opposed to, you know, I'm a big boy. I can I can take the risk. I can assume I can I can make investments as well as the next guy. I can go, you know, use some investment advisor, or I can go, you know, pool my money into a a, a fund uh, and invest that way. I mean, that's what this is all about. They want they want government to guarantee those who argue for defined benefits want government to guarantee the outcome. They're not willing to take the risk themselves. And I, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I, I uh, you know, there are people out there who did fine with defined contribution and, and, and I, and I can't, I can't get a whole lot of concern for people who want government to guarantee the outcome of uh, the outcome of their, uh, of their retirement, regardless of, of what the investment returns are. Right. Well, no, it is frustrating for those of us who've had to make our own way and do our own thing with retirements over the years. Uh, I mean, it'd be nice if everybody got handed that that whole defined benefits thing. But again, the costs, as we've seen across the nation, have been excruciating. I mean, it is, you know, it's caused many companies to teeter on the edge of bankruptcy. They've had to be bailed out by the federal government. We've seen it time and time and time again. It's not a viable option. But they continue to sneak it in, in every discussion. I mean, this is a discussion about school spending. But there's your jab for uh, for defined benefits that that's going to that's going to cause it, and, and of course we know through some of the studies that it's not necessarily um, it's not the it's not the retirement and the benefits for these teachers to entice them there. That's not what's tripping them over. Um, I mean, we need the governor's plan, which was submarined, would have uh, created some you know some bonuses and some other things, but they didn't want that. She pays lip service to it, but the, basically the bill went nowhere. So there are options to do things like that out there, but they don't they don't really push for it when there is an option in front of them. It's all or nothing, yep. it seems like. It seems like it's all or nothing. That could be something that would be incremental, and yet she says, oh, that's great, but never supports it. Yeah, it's um, uh, it, it, it's it's you know, government give me give me a higher salary now, guarantee my retirement through a defined benefits program, you know, immunize me essentially against you know the market that's affecting everybody else. Have government 
you know, uh, guarantee the outcome as opposed to as opposed to riding the market like everybody else who's had on defined contributions um, and and, you know, and pay me more, pay me more now. But 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 don't don't say who should be supplying all this additional money. Don't 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 try to be equitable. You know, you want to be equitable to the teachers. You want to be equitable pay. You want defined benefits. You want to be equitable retirement. But you don't want to be equitable on the incoming side. You don't want to be. You're not you're not advocate advocating being equitable on the revenue side. How we're going to pay for this? And it's just uh, it's just very frustrating. It's very one sided. If legislators, I mean, good legislators are balanced, like Ben, like Carpenter. I mean, Carpenter says, you know, yes, we're, we're going to spend. I recognize we're going to spend. We need to balance that with with revenue flow. We need to we need to recognize that there needs to be revenue flow to support that to support that spending as opposed to just taking it out of through taking it out through PFD taxes on middle and lower income Alaska families. We've got then. Uh, so that's that's responsible. I mean, that's that's covering both sides of it. But then we got the legislators like Rebecca here who says, spend, 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 you know, spend more, do more, government guarantee more, but without addressing the revenue flow, just assuming that, you know, we'll just take it more out of PFD cuts to, to, to cover the cost. And that's that's not balanced. I mean, that's just that's very one sided. She's, she's more in this piece. She's more a lobbyist, uh, more uh, 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 an industry booster than she is a state rep, a state representative, a state legislator, or somebody who's trying to balance both sides. Uh, that's number two of the weekly top three. Give me a quick tease for number three coming up here. Uh, Conoco Phillips made a statement about uh, Willow that, uh, frankly, has uh, surprised some investors, uh, surprised me, and uh, and and makes me wonder exactly what's going on. All right, we'll be back with more here in just a minute. Brad Keithley continues the weekly top three. We'll return in just a moment. It is Tuesday. We'll continue with Brad right after this. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Brad Keithley, our guest, as we continue to go through. Um, just going back there. Uh, so if the, uh, so if a government guarantees a thing, if government, if a government guarantee is a thing, why not go into the social security system? Yeah. I don't know the justification for removing teachers from social security back in the day. Um, I just know that they do not participate in that system. And I think that was part of the trade-off with the Persian Tur system. Uh, maybe it's time to ask them to, you know, for them to go back into the social security system. Uh, I mean, that just seems like that makes sense, Brad. I think there's a problem with that, Michael. I looked at that at one point. I didn't. I didn't exhaustively look at it, but I looked at it enough to, to figure out that 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 the government, the federal government, won't let you do that. I mean, you have to have contributed to it. The whole system is based on contribution over life, right? You know, benefits are based on contribution over life. You can't just sort of halfway through say, "Oh, by the way, I want back in, opt back in." 
And there was there's some significant issue, uh, as I as I came to understand it, about getting back into the Social Security system. It might be it, it would be difficult. It uh, might be hugely costly in terms of catch up payments. Um, so it's um, it's not as easy as say as saying, OK, well, we opt out of, of the state retirement system. We want to go back to Social Security. You just you can't you can't flip like that. As individuals, I mean, if somebody quit the state, quit working for the te- as a teacher and went and got a job somewhere else pushing brooms or something, uh, I mean, they would be back in the Social Security system. But you're saying the system as a whole would have a hard time getting back into the Social Security system. Yeah, exactly. Now, exactly. I, again, I haven't I, I've never really researched this. What was the justification originally? Was it did it have to do with the pensions, like the size of the pension or what was it? No, there was a choice. Is, is again, I, I didn't research this exhaustively, but but my appreciation of it was that there was a, a decision point at which you could either stay in Social Security or opt out of Social Security, and the state to to avoid the employer share of the contribution to Social Security. Remember, Social Security has both an employee and an employer contribution. Uh, to avoid the employer share of the contribution, the state decided to set up its own uh, retirement system. And so saved money from uh, from not contributing, not not contributing the employer share to Social Security and and had its own uh, had its own retirement system. So it was there was a decision made. I can't recall. Yeah, I can't recall even the time frame. But there but there came a time at which you had to make it at which states had the opportunity to opt in or opt out. And Alaska was one of the one of the few, actually, but one of the opt out states. Well, interesting. Uh, you know, again, that's a choice, you know, make, you know, going into that when you go to work, that's uh, something that you uh, uh, that, you know, uh, that goes on. Um, I just got a message here. Every school district chooses whether or not to join Social Security. Both the district and the employees would contribute to that uh, as well. Um, all right. Um Let's see. We just finished up with that. We're going to go talk about, I, I guess I just posted this article back up in the chat room. If you guys want to read this from uh, Rebecca Hemshoot, again, this whole thing just feels more like a, um, I, this is what, this is what gets me. Uh, she goes on to talk in this article about how, you know, schools provide community gyms and tsunami shelters and there's spaces for the Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and the Big Sisters and the, uh, the you know, meeting their meeting places. And and and, and I, I love how she's tagging all this together with what is constitutionally required, which is education for children, uh, and then ties it all into, well, now the state should provide all these community buildings and shelters and it i mean there are other options again tying this all together like it's all part of the same mandate um you know it is again never a question of who pays for it it is just how can we get more stuff uh essentially <laughs> in the in the end yeah we need more and more and more of it but but yeah don't worry about who pays for it i mean don't worry about the impact i mean the same families that she's talking about that needs all the need all these things she wants to take the money out of their pockets increasingly out of the, I mean, because it's a regressive tax, increasingly out of lower, the lower your your income goes, the more as a percent you pay. All these people she wants to protect, she's, she's, she's the, the counterbalance is she's taking money out of their pockets to do it. She's not spreading the burden broadly across all Alaska families, non-residents, uh, a little bit, some additional little bit from the old company. She's just concentrating by by omission, by not talking about 
about who pays, leaving it, leaving the, the 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 funding to come from additional PFD cuts. So she's she's taking money out of the very out of the hands of the very people, mo- the most money out of the very hands of the people that she claims to be protecting. Right, arguably, and, and, and that's a that's and, a constant and, that's a constant argument, right? I mean, and, and and so and so you wonder, is she protecting them or is she protecting something else? She's not really protecting the people because she's taking the money out of their pockets to, right. to pay for this stuff. So, well, and that's again, that's a continuing argument from from pretty much everybody who's the big bigger pro government side is, well, you know, we got to protect these people by taking their PFD and spending it for them, which again is just another hint of the whole idea of we know better than you kind of thing that's uh, that we've seen uh, out there. All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right. Not your daddy's talk radio. Uh, we're a whole different breed of cat around here. Jumping into it, the weekly top three continues. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, I know it's a heck of a way to start a week, but that's uh, that's why we're going on here. Uh, the next one is a little bit of a surprise for many people who've been following this. This is the discussion on the Willow decision. That, uh, that uh, uh, environmental statement and all the federal work that was done is now up in front of uh, Superior Court Judge Sharon Gleason. And there. it's being uh, asked by several environmental groups to overturn it. Uh, overturn- this is the second time it's been sent back to the drawing board. Uh, the first time they got sent back to the drawing board and then they came back and now this is the second time. But uh, Conoco made an announcement here recently that surprised a lot of people, Brad. Conoco has been fairly consistent throughout the entire Willow battle of saying, of, of being very patient and saying, look, Willow's a big project. It has a lot of, a lot of moving parts, but it's a big reward. There's a lot of oil out there. Uh, we want the opportunity to go get that oil. We think we can do it economically. We think we can make money out of it. And we're going to keep the Willow Project going. And in most of the quarterly conferences they've had with, well, all of the quarterly conferences they've had with, with investment analysts where they've discussed Willow, that's sort of been the, the storyline. We're patient. We're going to wait through this. We know how to manage these projects. This risk is part of the this environmental stuff is part of the risk you have when you go into Alaska. We've been in Alaska a long time. We know how to handle this stuff. We're going to work through it. In the latest court filing, in the latest set of court filings with Judge Gleason, though, they're changing their tune a little bit. Um, and here, this is an article by James Brooks in the Alaska Beacon again. The headline is ConocoPhillips says court case is likely do or die for Willow Arctic oil project. And here's the first two paragraphs. In documents filed this week in Anchorage, international oil company ConocoPhillips said an ongoing federal court case is likely to make or break Alaska's largest planned oil development in decades. If Alaska District Court Judge Sharon Gleason cancels required federal approvals, quote, the Willow Project is highly unlikely to proceed at all, close quote, said Connor Dunn, vice president of Willow for ConocoPhillips. That's the first time that Conoco's ever said uh, the project is at risk. They've all the times before it's been we can manage this, we know what we're doing, 
Uh, it's part of Alaska. We, we handle Alaska. We got, we got it all done. Now they're telling the court the Willow Project is highly unlikely to proceed at all. And part of this, part of this is, is the time frame that we're dealing with. Um, the Willow is being developed on federal leases. Federal leases have a term and, and you extend the term by having production, first production by a certain date. If you don't have first production by a certain date, then the lease expires. Uh, you have to say, take several steps along the way, but first production is one of those steps. And, and if you achieve first production, then the, then the lease, the lease term is extended for as long as, as commercial production is achieved from the lease. But, but we're nearing uh, that date. And essentially what ConocoPhillips is arguing is if we don't get these approvals, if, if Judge Gleason sends these approvals back uh, for further work by the administration, then uh, we're not going to have the approvals in hand in time to, to complete the construction and get first production under underway by the time that we that we hit the, the lease term. Now, in most instances, if you're making good faith, I mean, I've dealt with these issues a lot, a lot in my career. In most instances, if you're dealing in good faith as you come up on the with government, federal government in particular, as you come up on the end of the of the lease term, if there are things that have happened that aren't your fault, and and you are dealing in good faith and trying to achieve that, the government will extend the lease term. I mean, it's not it's not that it's not that lease terms can't be modified. They can be modified by the government, and they are they have been in a, a number of instances, a huge number of instances over the years across the country as you as you come up on the end, because the government doesn't want to lose. The, they don't want to lose the productive value of that lease. They don't want to terminate the lease and either have to start the process all over again uh, and, and have a significant delay or just lose the prospect entirely. The government wants the revenue from the lease as badly as anybody else. So they will extend the lease term if it looks like you're going to make it. You're just not going to make it by a certain date. But what Conoco said, is, what Conoco is saying is they're concerned. They're talking about terminating this because they're concerned that if the approvals aren't aren't achieved, then they're not going to have first production by the by the lease date. And essentially what they're saying is, and, and, and you know, maybe with good reason, that they don't trust whatever administration is in place at the time uh, to extend the lease term uh, 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 when if they if they come up to the end of that lease term and they don't and they haven't achieved uh, first production by that date. More likely a, a, a second reading of this is they're just frustrated. You know that they they jumped through all the hoops during the Trump administration. They got approvals. Then the Biden administration came in, and the Biden administration said, "No, that we got to go back and we got to redo certain stuff, uh, and we got to get us we got to get another set set of approvals." And now we've gotten that second set of approvals, and now now people are appealing that. Uh, and Conoco is just saying, "Look, you know, if we're if we're not going to get approval for what the Biden administration did, uh, uh, the Biden administration said, let's keep on going." The Biden administration looked at it, uh, and the Biden administration gave these gave these approvals with these conditions. If we're not going to get approval, given what the Biden administration did, we're never going to get approval uh, on uh, on 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 this sort of this sort of project. And so we're just going to just we're going to give up on it. Um, both those things are contributing to, to to Conoco's position, but it's just a surprising position. It's just a surprising change, I think, in the position. <clears throat> as I and others perceive it, a change in their position 
that they've had all along of, you know, we can handle these things. We're fine. Just be patient. We'll get there. Don't worry about it. What they've told investors. And now the all of a sudden, highly unlikely to proceed at all if they don't get these, get these approvals uh, approved by Judge Gleason. And it's a concern. Yeah, it is a concern. Willow is the cornerstone of future production uh, here in the state. It's been held up as this is going to be the next phase of uh, of production on the North Slope, and and this is what we need. Um, what what's your take on this? I mean, you followed what Gleason did in 2020 when she reversed um, the previous. That was the Trump administration's approval. Uh, everybody was a bit surprised when the when the Biden administration uh, passed it through and gave their approval as well after a period of time. Um, what's your take on this? Do you have a feel for where Gleason may go on this or what, what's your thoughts? I think, I think the, the likelihood is that Gleason approves um, uh, the, the leases or the conditions that, that have been imposed on the leases. Uh, the Biden administration uh, did a more thorough job than the Trump administration did. Admittedly, the Trump administration sort of tried to grease it through, <coughs> excuse me, tried to grease it through with a, uh, with a, a minimal number of, of limitations. The Biden administration has been much more thorough. They've taken into account a lot of, a, a number of additional things. I think there's enough there for Judge Gleason to approve it. And I think this becomes, you know, becomes an interesting statement that Conoco made along the way, but, but not one that, that, that becomes effective, but you know, you never can tell judges are judges are interesting people. Um, they sometimes find legal issues that uh, find, issues fascinating that others don't. Uh, they sometimes, uh, you know, want to hold the government to account to do everything that the government's supposed to do. Uh, judge Leeson has been a very thorough judge. She's been a, a very uh, 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 fair judge, I think. Uh, some don't. Some think she's biased, but I think she's been a fair, very fair judge. And I, and I think that uh, I think that approval here is highly likely. But, you know, it, 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 it may not. She may, she may send it back. And, and Conoco's warning uh, is something something to take seriously. You don't you don't make these comments in court filings lightly, uh, because you know investors and others see them, and uh, and react to them. And you don't make, you don't want to mislead a court because that'll come back to bite you. Uh, you don't want to threaten a court, uh, and this sort of comes across in a way as a threat. So it's it, it's just a very interesting uh, it's just a very interesting statement and uh, one that I think is certainly. A, a, important for for us to consider and us to keep in mind as we as we follow along uh, uh, the progress of the case. Judge Gleason has said that she'll rule by November. She set up a schedule that will put her in a position to rule by November um, in order to let Conoco proceed with the winter construction uh, to, to gear up and do the winter construction uh, if she approves the uh, if she approves the permit. So we're, we're going to know sooner rather than later. This is not it's going to drag out for a long period of time. And it's not one that Conoco said, you know, if we lose this on appeal, if Judge Gleason rules against us and we lose it on appeal, then we're going to consider undoing. I mean, they're saying basically that uh, that the district court judge is going to decide whether this project goes forward. So right. what, uh, it's, it, it's a big issue. What, is this, what does this say to future production? I mean, let's just say theoretically the, the judge comes back and, and denies it. Um, what, what, what does it say to Alaskan production in the future? Well, it says at least on federal lands, uh, boys, you're going to have a boys and, and women, you're going to have a hard time going forward, uh, on federal lands. Uh, NPR, uh, uh, Anwar is already dead, but it's going to say Anwar, Anwar, you're dead again. 
NPR, NPRA, uh, you're just going to have a hard time going forward. And any additional, any other federal lands, NPRA is a big one. But, you know, if somebody has a discovery in the offshore waters that affects, you know, federal waters, uh, then then it'll affect that. It's going to say on federal lands, you're 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 sort of wasting your time. Right. We won't say that. Won't say that about state lands. We won't say that about the Pika project. But on federal lands, it'll say you're sort of wasting your time anymore. Frustrating stuff. We'll have to see what comes out of that. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for a sustainable budgets, the weekly top three. Brad, thanks for uh, coming on board and sharing your thoughts with us today. As always, we appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we got more coming up. Hour two is dead ahead. Uh, If you uh, would like, you can always join us in uh, the chat room, which is available right now over on Facebook or on YouTube, facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show slash live, if you would like to be part of it there. Hour two continues. Chris Story is going to be our guest. Do a little recap and then come back to this. Back with more right after this. You know, what struck me most about this, uh, Brad, was I hadn't realized uh, until I was going back and doing some reading on this and looking at it and realized this lease, again, is a 30-year... I mean, here we are. It's a 30-year lease. And we're just coming down to the wire here on 30 years to try and get this project off the ground. Um, I mean, the, the time frames on these things are so, the, the details on them are so long. Uh, I mean, if you get started now, it's another 30 years. I mean, if that's the case, if that's the way that it works, if you had it to start from scratch again, uh, yeah, what company is going to look at that and then look at the money? They spent 900 and something million dollars in the last year or so alone, and they're expected to spend more in the coming year. But I mean, how much money has been poured into this hole that uh, if it goes sideways, 30 years. I mean, I, the, the the length of these things is what blows my mind. Well, this project hasn't been in development for 30 years. I mean, what what you do with leases, what companies do with leases is, is they sort of identify a region that they're interested in. And there's no reason to spend money in that area unless you got leases, land, land access. So so you you sort of stockpile the leases. And then you sort of sort through over time, you sort through those with the best objective. You, you stockpile the leases at the time the leases come up for sale because you don't want somebody else to buy the lease. If you think this area might be productive, uh, you you go and get the lease. But you've got other projects that are that you've been working on or nearer in time that you're that you're that you've spent more on. You're trying to bring to fruition, and so you got this lease sort of sitting out there. These leases sort of sitting out there. This project sort of sitting out there that you'll get to in due course. So that's what that's what's happened with Willow. I mean, they they you go through the exploration phase of you know doing export doing seismic and doing exploration drilling and then analyzing the exploration drilling, then doing more exploration drilling because you if you find something, you want to make sure you got enough of something there to justify the economics of doing it. So it's it's been a it's been a fairly long process that they've gone through to get to to get to this stage. It's not it's not that they've been at it for 30 years and, you know, they've spent 30 years just sort of flailing along trying to get there. It's been the, it's been only the last few years that they've been in in significant development activities uh, with respect to with respect to this project. But you do come up at the end. I mean, you do come on. You do. At some time it d- does run out. And you need to be in first production by the by the time you hit the end of it. 
Well, it's interesting to see, uh, again, all the effort and time and energy that's been poured into this. And the fact, again, that, I mean, it was surprising. The Biden administration actually took a bunch of heat for approving the Willow Project. And so you'd think that, uh, you'd think that uh, you know, with that kind of uh, approval that it would be kind of a slam dunk. But I guess we'll have to see where it, I mean, where it goes <laughs> well, from there. Well, courts courts aren't supposed to bend to, to political, uh, political whims. So the fact that yeah, it's the thoroughness, I think, that the Biden administration put in on the review uh, that will be determinative. It's not it's not merely the fact that the Biden administration, the Biden administration of all administrations was the was the one that sided with it. It's the thoroughness that the Biden administration put into it. And I and I think the Biden administration did put did put a lot of effort into it in some ways. In some ways, Trump did the industry a disservice. Trump by 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 rocket docketing these projects and you know giving them getting them through with the skimpiest of reviews, um, he sort of set them up for court review and court rejection. Right. And and in a way, sort of did the industry a disservice by by what he did. Biden has done the Biden administration has done it much more thoroughly, and I think is is much more ready uh, for court review than than the Trump administration did. So hopefully that will pay off. I mean, if 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 what the Biden administration is, didn't do isn't good enough, nobody's going to be nobody's going to be renewing these leases, and nobody's going to be you know looking for additional leases out there. We may have some people still trying to pursue leases that they already have in hand, but uh, but it's going to be tough to justify. To, if Conoco gives up on this, it's going to be tough to justify to other investors why you're spending money on a project that even Conoco in Alaska, with all of its Alaska reputation, couldn't get done. It's uh, you, investors are going to be very skeptical of somebody who says I can do it, but Conoco didn't, couldn't. Yeah, no, I mean, again, fast tracking it didn't do them any favors, I guess, and that's that's the kind of the amorphousness of one administration to the other as the as the position changes hands, things that you know they spend the first year undoing everything that their predecessor did that they didn't like, so it didn't really. Uh, didn't really do them any favors in fast tracking all that stuff, but I guess we'll see what that means. And of course, as you said, it doesn't mean anything for like Pika. That doesn't affect state lands, but there's still some significant opportunities out there. Um, you know, for for other projects on the federal lands, if this goes through. If not, like you said, it takes a whole swath of properties off the table. Yeah, I, Conoco's identified additional opportunities beyond Willow. I mean, that's one of the reasons that the that the environmental community is so focused in on Willow because they see that as a step toward uh, additional development on federal land. So there are additional opportunities out there. This is this is sort of the uh, an additional Alpine, I think, was the first, but this is sort of additional steps out into NPRA that you want to see the the industry uh, pursuing. But yeah, if Conoco gives up, it's going to be hard to convince anybody else that. Uh, yeah, they somehow can do it better. Well, I think that's why they're fighting so hard right now is because they don't want any develop. You know, it's all lock it all up. They don't want to develop any of that federal land, so they see the opportunity to stop it in its tracks if they can. Uh, fingers crossed that it doesn't uh, doesn't come down to that. Uh, all right, Brad. Uh, it's I know it's early in the week and it's been the weekend and everything else. What are you looking at for this next week? Quickly here. Well, I started working on the the column this week is going to be on inflation proofing. Um, the the Permanent Fund Corporation issued its uh, 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 most recent July financial statements um, and really did, really is doing some 
to me, weird stuff in the earnings reserve account. So, and it's and it's tied to inflation proofing. So I'm focusing a lot on inflation proofing this coming week. All right. Well, we'll see what that brings uh, next week. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Michael, as always, enjoy, for enjoy the me. barbecue. I hope you go back. <laughs> Eight hours for good barbecue. It's a it's a it's a thing. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. All right, folks, we are out of time. Uh, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, uh, liberty based, free thinking radio. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. Michael Duke's show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station. And or FM translator, good morning and welcome back to it, uh, the Tuesday edition of the Michael Dukes Show. Uh, after the weekend, post-Labor Day weekend, is that is that is 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 summer officially over? I mean, I just, I gotta know it was 40, it's up to 48 degrees now here, uh, at the old, uh, radio ranch, but it was, of course, um, it's, uh, it, it was a little cooler. Oh no, I just dropped down back to 40. Never mind. It's, it's great. It's okay. You're, you're, you're fine. Um, anyway, uh, I hope you got a lot done around your, uh, I hope you got a lot done around your house, uh, and around your yard, got all your your winter stuff done. I did absolutely well. I, I mowed the lawn and picked up a few things and got a little stuff squared away, but I'm not ready yet. I am not ready yet for the uh, 41 in anchor point this morning. And then somebody in Fairbanks was asking this morning if they if anybody else got frost or something. So apparently it's cooling off quickly up in Fairbanks right now. Um, but Okay. It's, you know, I mean, I, I, winter is coming. That's just, you know, it's about the only thing I can say right now. Death taxes in winter. They're the only sure, th- only sure things that, uh, that we're going to have, uh, laid out in front of us here, uh, in the coming time. Um, all right. Uh, so hour two of the program, we just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, we may do a little bit of a we do, may do a little bit of a recap on some of those things, but coming up at the bottom of the hour, Chris Story is going to be joining us, uh, and we're going to be talking about I don't know we're going to talk about something. He's going to have a life coaching lesson for us of some kind. So looking forward to seeing what uh, what he brings to the discussion uh, on that here uh, this morning. We'll see what uh, we'll see what he has to say. Uh, in just a few moments and give us that give us that uh, weekly uplift, which we usually need 
after uh, after sitting down with Brad and going over all the stuff with Brad. <laughs> oh, man. So what did you do this weekend? Did you actually work? I mean, I think all of us in the chat room were commiserating about how we were uh, commiserating about how we were all uh, – I guess we were all slugs. I did very little this weekend. Uh, like I said, I got the the grass mode, which was a big thing, uh, because you know you just never know when uh, when it's going to be that final day of summer to be able to get it done. Uh, it may be my last grass mowing season of the year. I, I'm just not sure. Um, and then, um, but I did. I really did very very little else, and it felt good. It felt good to just kind of relax. I actually turned my phone off on Friday evening, Friday afternoon, Friday evening. I just said, you know what? And I just turned it off and I put it on my nightstand and I turned it back on late yesterday, uh, when I was getting, uh, when I was getting ready for bed because I use my phone to wake me up. And so I'm like, okay, I got to turn this on. And yeah, I had a few bading, bading, badings as my messages came through, but it was nice just to kind of be not just out of touch, just un, unreachable. And, uh, it kind of feels good. May, you know, you guys, may, may I suggest that as a weekend therapy that it, you just turn your phone off for the weekend and, uh, I mean, unless you're out and about with people and you need to be on con, you know, but I mean, for the most part, just turn it off and put it down. And you know what? You'll, you'll, you'll live, you'll survive. I mean, how did we survive without instant communication all the time with everybody? I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I, we, we made it, we did it through, you know, we didn't need to be in, somebody would call and leave us a message or, you know, we'd call them back or something would happen and we'd discover it. It wasn't like it was, uh, it wasn't like knowing it immediately really affected us in, in many ways. So might I suggest that as kind of therapy, just to kind of turn it, turn it off and let your, let, you know, just enjoy the peace and quiet, I guess, for a little bit. It was, I haven't done that in a long time and it was definitely definitely worth it this weekend to do that. So I, I felt pretty good about a little guilty last night when I turned it back on and there was a bunch of messages, but you know what? Not, I can't, I, I don't know. I just can't complain. I can't complain about it. Um, all right. Um, what else is going on? Oh, uh, Barbara announces that tonight it is election season, uh, up in the interior, the, um, Borough Assembly and the school boards and everybody else have got their uh, um, have got their uh, elections coming up in October. And so she wanted to remind us that if you're up in the interior, the Interior Taxpayers Association has a borough candidate forum tonight at the University Baptist Church in Fairbanks at 630 p.m., so if you want to see your borough candidates and and uh, get a chance to differentiate between the various candidates, again, tonight, 630 at the University Baptist Church in Fairbanks, that's the uh, place to go. ITA always puts on a good forum, uh, and it's always an interesting, uh, always interesting to watch, uh, to see the differences between them. And of course, ITA has been fighting hard for many years to try and limit the size and scope of government. So a great organization there. I recommend, um, uh, I recommend it. 
uh, go out there and check it out tonight at 6.30. And then, of course, don't forget to go out and vote. Uh, we saw a swing in the interior here over the last uh, couple of years, uh, and we need to try and maintain that balance on the borough assembly since it went so far afield from when I was I mean, I just, I watched the borough assembly at Fairbanks just kind of, you know, from when I first joined to where it had a handful of members who were what you would consider to be kind of more conservative to basically there was just two voices on there, me and one other guy. And that was about, that was about it. Uh, and so it's good to, uh, it's good to see you got, you got to go out there and support those candidates though. Got to go support those candidates and, uh, and just kind of, uh, Keep that balance going. It's gonna be gonna be necessary. Um, all right. What else is on? The, speaking of Fairbanks, I just saw this, and um, it, uh, it, it. I think it spells. I think this is just indicative, not just of Fairbanks, but kind of of the whole uh, publishing industry in general. Uh, Must Read Alaska is reporting that the Fairbanks Daily News Miner has eliminated its Saturday edition. And moved that and combined it with the Sunday edition. It's a weekend edition now published on Sundays. Um, the newspaper is the latest to reduce its newsprint edition. Um, it remains the second largest newspaper in Alaska after the ADN, the Anchorage Daily News, and is the farthest North Daily newspaper in America. Um, it is. Um, it's. It's. You know, this is happening across the country. Consolidation, reductions, because more and more people are are moving away from print media. That's just kind of the that's that's the way the technologies have pushed things to where I mean, speaking of instantaneous, right? We were talking about having your phone with all that instantaneous communication and turning it off during the weekend. Well, your phone provides you with instant access to news kind of just the second it happens. So it's not surprising. That uh, that you know that 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 a newspaper uh, that prints on a once a day basis is going to be a little bit behind the power curve. I mean, how many times have we seen articles in the paper that we've known about for you know twenty four to thirty six hours because we have the little computer in our hands? Uh, how, you know, and so this is not really surprising. Uh, they report that the newspaper has uh, was down in revenues almost a million dollars uh, in 2020, down from 2019. Now, part of that probably had to do with COVID. No more recent numbers. But the Juno Empire, um, which was the third largest paper, um, moved to a Wednesday and Saturday print edition only. And the ADN ceased printing a Saturday edition several years ago. And then the Anchorage Press, which was kind of more of one of the, you know, kind of one of the more progressive kind of alt papers out there, they stopped printing altogether earlier this year. It's just it's not an industry where you can make a ton of money. It's 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 a full fundamental change and a shift. And we've got to adapt to that. Um, and, you know, we've been seeing this for years. Newsprint has been on the decline uh, printed newspapers have been on the decline for years. That's why you've seen so many of them move more towards the digital advertising and digital revenue and everything else because most businesses aren't paying for advertising in the newspaper anymore. And that's where the majority the subscription revenue is very is is a very small component of what they're doing. Um, and uh, this is not surprising. I would not be surprised 
um, if the Fairbanks Daily News Miner and the Kodiak Mirror, which is they're actually owned by the same, but they're all part of the same umbrella thing. I would not be surprised if they move to a same kind of thing that the Geo Empire did, you know, to a Wednesday, Saturday or Wednesday, Sunday, maybe a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing. I just it would not surprise me because of the costs involved in that and the fact that the you know the ones who really the ones who really are the the heart of the buying public for newspapers are that older generation who grew up with it they're not but now we've got a whole new generation of people who were grow who grew up with computers and phones and tablets and everything else and so they are not married to that uh that whole uh I guess methodology of getting news out there, the whole print thing, uh, and so it's a diminishing, it's a it's a diminishing uh, fan base for uh, for print, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes here in the future. Um, the other news uh, was that the Board of Education has voted to limit the participation of trans girls in high school sports, much to the chagrin of many. Uh, different uh, entities out there, and we can uh, we could talk about that here on the other side when we get done with Chris' story. It's interesting um, some of the commentary that we've seen in regards to this, most specifically from the student representative who is on the board, Felix Myers. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about that, but we're going to wait for that here uh, in just a moment. Right now, we're going to go back, uh, take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we'll have our weekly uplift from Chris Story, the man from Homer, who comes in to give us uh, a little weekly betterment segment, positivity boost. We'll do that here in just a second. Back with more The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. We return with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, let's uh, let's see if we can get uh, Chris lined up for our discussions. And see what is going on here. Um, we'll get uh, Chris uh, going on. Okay, we got that real quick. Let me let me give Chris a call. Let me let me give him a shout here and see what he has to say. See if we can get this to connect properly on this beautiful Monday slash Tuesday. Hey, look at that. It actually works. Good morning. Of course it works. Of course, of course it, works. it works. You turn it on, you turn it off. Of course it works. Um, how are you, my friend? How was your uh, How was your Labor Day weekend? Wonderful. Wonderful. Uneventful as it ought to be. And just beautiful. We've got some amazing weather happening here on top of the world. Oh, really? Is it, uh, is it uh, nice and bright and sunshiny or is oh, it cold and clear yes. or what is it? It's beautiful, cold, yeah, clear, and just that fall crisp feeling in the air, and it's just 
beautiful. Well, good, good. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you're enjoying a little bit of on top of the world weather down there. It's uh, it's continued to rain here like a big dog. <laughs> Although was I will the say, fair over? I will say, uh, yeah, the fair's over. I believe the fair. This was the last oh. weekend for the fair. Um, to which the weather I, will improve. Yeah, the weather will improve. Yeah, it actually got uh, it actually got pretty nice uh, on. Uh, Sunday for a bit. And then yesterday it was uh, pretty much, it was pretty nice all day. Like I said, it actually dried the grass out enough that I could go out and, uh, and mow it. So I felt, uh, I felt pretty good about that. Do you have people to do that for you or do you do all your own mowing these days? My house, I mow my own house and I love it. It's a, it's an art, it's an art form for me. I love it. It's in therapy. It's therapeutic. Yeah. I enjoy it. I use electric or battery operated um, equipment yeah. because I'm saving the planet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I've seen that there's been a lot more, um, there's been such an improvement in that stuff uh, over the last few years that a lot of people are going to that. One of my friends who's uh, not doing it for the environmental reasons, but doing it simply for the ease and convenience and the fact that he has to haul his mower up mm-hmm. a set of steps. He's like, this is nicer because it's lighter and I can still get everything done yeah. and it's quiet and uh, and boom, it was it's we, all good. We were having uh, a little gathering last evening and we were out on our deck and the mower, uh, the neighbor two doors down was mowing, couldn't hear it battery operated it's uh it's really wonderful yeah no it's an amazing thing i do find a bit of zen in doing uh in doing the lawnmower i don't know if it's as good as a segment with chris story on the radio but it's uh um, it's yeah it's not bad i mean you get there and you just kind of do the lazy track now do you do the cross hatching do you go back and forth across mm-hmm. you know 90 degree turns yeah if i'm gonna mow twice and that's the beauty of a small lawn you can mow it twice and 30 minutes. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, if need be. But yeah, I, I like the pattern developed and all that. Yeah, always have. Since I was a kid, I grew up with three and a half, almost four acres of lawn and joined with my grandparents, five acres and joined with their 80 acres of field. And so mowing was something my grandfather and I, it was just a, it was like my job all summer with him growing up as a kid. So I found it very relaxing and, and he and I had a great time. So every time I'm mowing, I think about him. Yeah, I just remember when I was a kid growing up, we used to mow. We had a small segment of grass outside the house, and it wasn't very big, but my mom and dad, they were like, no, this will build character, and they gave me a push mower. and, uh, and A real mower? Yeah, yeah, a real mower, a push mower, non-motorized push mm-hmm. mower. And, of course, this patch mm-hmm. of lawn was uphill and downhill uh, at, mm-hmm. at a pretty significant grade, so it was always like, oh, you you just hated that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but anyway, it's, uh, it is kind of zen now. I get that. All right, so what's our topic for today, Chris? What are we going to be talking about? Are you or aren't you? Are me or aren't me? Okay. All right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll figure that out. We'll, uh, we'll see what they have to say. Um, all right. Uh, I'll put you back on hold here and we'll be right back to you. We're 30 seconds out. That's what the ding means. So we're going to jump back into this folks, uh, like and share. Like and follow. If you're watching it on YouTube, and I know there's a chunk of you watching it on YouTube, would you subscribe and ring the bell? Say hello. Share it with friends and family and coworkers and everybody else. Let's get more people involved in this conversation. This is our Betterment segment with the Baron of Betterment, Chris Story, the guru of positivity. It's, uh, it's fun stuff. Uh, all right. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's get to it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, proudly splitting the left versus right uh, 
dichotomy. Yeah, I had to look that word up too. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. There he is though, that guy, Michael Dukes, the one with the show. Yep, that's me, the one with the show. That's why they call it the Michael Duke Show. It is Tuesday. We're at the bottom of the hour two. Uh, Chris Story is our guest today. He is the guru of positive. I mean, he's everything, right? He's a realtor of renown. He's a realtor of renown. He's a potter of perfection. He is a public speaker. He is a radio show host. And he is the guru of positivity, the baron of betterment, the guy with the plan for your life. And uh, he joins us, just he and his dog this morning. I just heard his dog snore. Uh, it's, oh, <laughs> he's just snoring away in the background. Uh, Chris Story joins us this morning to talk about will you or won't, will I, will me, uh, what was it? It's, I'm sorry, I've already forgotten it. That was how long ago it was. I've already forgotten it's, it. That's how, yeah, that's how impactful it was. Well, your, you your, do, your dog is snoring. I mean, so, I mean, you're keeping yeah. me awake at least. Oh, will you or won't you? Are you or aren't you, right? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And that's Reagan making his radio debut in the background there. And he's a King Charles Kevlar Spaniel, and he <laughs> is named Reagan after of course, the, the greatest president of my lifetime and Ronald and Nancy whilst in the White House had uh, King Charles. They had a two King Charles Cavalier Spaniels and one looked just like our little guy here. So we oh. got the name of Reagan. And he snores just like Reagan did. So it's all good. Uh, all the way through a cabinet meeting. That was one of my favorite jokes. Reagan said, at any time of uh, crises or whatever, I've been told to to have my staff wake me up, even if it's in the middle of a cabinet meeting. Exactly, exactly. I loved his his sense of humor was so good. Um, all right, Chris. Well, will we or won't we give give us a rundown here? What are we talking about for our betterment segment? Well, it's actually are you or aren't you? In other words, you know, I think we have this sense of of life that some people are. Um, what is, I'll tell you what inspired me. I'll give you the background. A guy called Rick Rubin has produced probably almost every piece of music you like, from rap to Adele to um, name a star, name a performer, name some genre of music. Rick Rubin's had his fingers at the pulse of it for probably 35, almost 40 years. And he wrote a book about creativity. And so I had to get that book because I admire his work, not necessarily all the music, but I admire his work in the industry because he works in a very zen like almost like a buddhist monk kind of fashion and it's really unusual and i thought well i want to see inside his mind best way to do that is to get his book and he talks about creativity in a way that you have access to everybody has access to creativity everybody is creative whether or not you tap into it so my question then became hmm, well are you or aren't you not are you creative or aren't you are you practicing creativity or aren't you? Because you have that opportunity. We talk about doctors, attorneys, um, real estate practice. We talk about engineering. Right? We talk about all these practices as a profession right? because they're continually practicing. They're always doing the work. And so if you're an artist, let's say you're a painter and you're not painting, why not? Why aren't you doing it? Or if you've always wanted to, if you've always wanted to write, because I've published four books now, I do hear from a lot of people they say, oh, I've always wanted to write, or I want to write a book. And it's like, well, do it. You can do it. Nobody, in this day and age, you do not need permission handed from on high. There is sort of this 
democratization of all things creative and there's nothing holding you back. I'll give you an example. You were talking about newspapers uh, in your previous segment. And the reason newspapers are dying isn't because people aren't reading news, isn't because people don't want things delivered. It's what they're writing. It's what they're publishing. So a friend of mine was commonly writing to the Homer News, which is owned by the Peninsula Clarion, which I think might own the empire, whatever. Right. And uh, one of the uh, editorial board retired, and then they they would no longer publish Greg's work. Why not? Well, Greg's a conservative, and you have to know that every – almost every single newspaper besides the Epic Times is, is going to be leaning left. And they just stopped publishing his work. Well, well, Greg could have stopped his creative practice. He could have stopped writing. He could have stopped exercising his voice, but instead said, you know, I'll start a sub stack. So we've got Seward Follies. In fact, he's going to be a guest on my show today. And my number one question is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are starting your own <laughs> imprint, your right. own newspaper in right. this digital age? Right. So it isn't that we don't want things. I mean, physical book sales are on the rise. Bookstores are having a moment in time. They're coming back, a resurgence, a renaissance, if you will. Not because people are reading less or digital has ruined it. And it isn't that the, the and I agree with you, that the computer in your hand does make the immediacy of news like boom it's right here in your hand but how it's written about by clever writers and and people that think things through in editorials that's still in demand it's just they are seeing one side of the prism and they're excluding another side which happens to be the majority um people in the state which is why the fairbanks papers and others are having trouble um think about this radio is a dying industry oh that's right just ask people that are nationally syndicated ask michael dukes who statewide syndicated uh oh it's dying all right and people are dying to hear what you've got to say hear your opinions and hear your guests and your creative way you approach this medium so it's really about how you do something not what you do right and if you're holding yourself back because you don't feel like you're creative or accomplished I suggest you are, and either you are doing it or you aren't, but that's your call. It's right. not us. What we think of your work is none of your business. Well, and I think it's how you do it as well. I think you're right. I think part of the problem with, like, for example, the printed print media is that it has become skewed in some way, but also the delivery method and people's expectations have changed, right? So you've got to adapt with the times. You've got to – it's not just um, it's not just the print edition uh, is bad because of the editorials and things like that and the slant to it. It's because people now are expecting news on the moment. They're expecting to hear about something that happened across the country within the hour. And, uh, you know, when you when you expect to hear about it in the hour and it doesn't get printed in a newspaper until, you know, 24 hours or 36 hours later, um, you know, th- that's also part of it. You've got to adapt. You've got to learn to do that, to be, you know, to be creative in how you deliver things. And just talking to the regular Joe, the regular person, I think there's this notion that we need, like, for example, I am getting ready to do a series of paintings. What? What? Who are you? You're not a painter. Right. I'm going to. And I. The, okay, these, Van Gogh. Living... Okay, Van Gogh. Right. <laughs> With these, yeah, exactly. But I'm not. I'm not going to cut my ear. And if I do, it's just because I was, you know, got a little wild with the razor. I promise you, I'm going to cut my ear off. But the this idea that I'm just going to do it because these paintings have been living in my mind, and it's like I have to get them out of my mind onto the canvas. And once I'm done with this series, 
yeah, I'm going to be asking a gallerist to show them, but not because I think, oh, I'm going to compete with people that have actual talent. I recognize the difference. I just need to get these paintings out of my head. I know what I'm going to do with them. They, there's, it's going to be, a, it's going to be something that is one and done. It's a project. I see the project in my mind. I'm going to go do it. I'm not waiting for permission. I'm not going to, waiting for somebody to pick me. I'm not waiting for an art instructor to go, man, you've got some talent. No, I don't. Right. I've got an idea and I've got to get it out of my head and onto the canvas. And then I'm going to let it go into the world. And if people don't like them or don't care, for, I said, I'm not doing it for you. I'm going to do this practice for me. So your opinion of my work isn't any of my business. And that's my message. Are you or aren't you? What is it you want to do? You've always wanted to start a business? Well, get busy doing it. Build it. Uh, yeah, read a book or two, but then get busy and go do it. Do the work. You've always wanted to invest in real estate. You've always wanted to write a book or be a painter, or uh, you've wanted to become a licensed massage therapist. You want It's right there in front of you. Are you or aren't you? Because it's up to you. Uh, Chris Story is our guest, the man from Homer. You can find him at ilovehomeralaska.com. So are you or aren't you? You're saying basically, Chris, that everybody has that spark of creativity. They have something in them. But a lot of people will go, well, you know, I'm not that creative. I don't do art. I don't do – I'm not a writer or a speaker. Or I'm a performer. Mm -hmm. You know, what what do you say to people like that? I mean, how do you – how does how does somebody if they feel like they don't have anything to offer that they don't have anything that's creative how do we go about finding that creative spark inside of us what in your mind what would what would be the steps that we would take again breaking it down to basics for folks here what would you do to try and tell folks who say something like that what what do you what would you say to them I would say that if you just take a really good listen take a walk in the woods go somewhere quiet go to the beach alone no headphones, no phone, nobody, and just listen. We know, you know, there is something you want to do. And I'm not sure if I'm talking to you or I'm talking to you, but you know it. There's something you wanted to do. And so often we're waiting to be picked. Often we're waiting for permission or waiting for enough of the accreditation, whatever it is that we think the world will then bestow upon us the path or opportunity towards something. When in reality, it's the path, it's the journey, it's the doing, it's the action, it's the practice, getting started and moving into and through this creative through line that will create the joy, not the final product. And I'm telling you this art project that I have in mind, not because, you know, I want to sell you a painting, but because I want to sell you on the idea that I'm enjoying this process, which is the thinking and the creation in the mind. Stephen Covey said, everything's created twice once in the mind and then in the world. And so I'm enjoying this aspect of it just as much as I probably will the physical creation and painting and then facing potential rejection from gallery owners and then patrons. And that's, I'm, I'm gonna enjoy it all, all the way through. <laughs> and it's, it's a real joy and nobody's picking me. I'm picking me yeah. myself and I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm going to do this. Well, it's interesting you say you look forward to the rejections because I've talked to plenty of people, uh, people who I've actually read some of their like they say, well, I want to write. I, I want to write. And I'm like, OK, so let me see what. And they, they they you know, they send me a snippet or whatever. And I'm like, this is this is really good. And they're like, yeah, but I just couldn't take the I couldn't take the criticism or rejection of people. So I really can't go forward. And that just breaks my heart because somebody may be touched by what you're writing or performing or painting or whatever it is. And it's, you know, I think people let that 
fear of criticism, fear of rejection. They let them hold. They let them hold it. It lets them hold them back, right? Instead of just kind of throwing the pain out there and let it fall where it may, kind of thing. You know, like you said, embracing the idea that people may criticize you or whatever. I know it's a hard thing to do. I know it's easy for me to say, "Oh, just reject the crit." I mean, if I get critiqued on something, I do get a little tense about it sometimes, but. It's the only way we learn to adapt, right? It's the only way we learn to improve. And so at some point, it's got to be part of the process. Yeah, I agree. And you can use that that criticism as fuel. Um, on the <clears throat> At the same time, you can use it as an opportunity to sharpen the saw and go, hmm, are they right? Is there something here? Could I have done something different or better? If the answer is no, then move on. It's none of your business. What they think of you is none of your business. Unless, of course, you're going blindly into the middle of a storm and don't recognize it. You were talking earlier about the immediacy of news and how we want immediacy. We really do. I'll tell you one thing, though. I was pretty moved by Jimmy Buffett's passing. It was like, that was, it was like, you know, that, that was like a gut punch. And I really stopped and thought about that. Uh, a lot. And I was talking to a friend and, and he was mentioning how it really took him back. And I was like, hmm, it's interesting that he, you know, he, I don't know him, never knew him. I can name two songs uh, that he did, uh, but I've admired him and he's been a part of my life since I can possibly remember. Right. And so anyway, I guess my point is two things. One is creativity always made you feel good. I mean, he, that's what he was about was making you feel good. It wasn't about him. It was about making you feel good. That's number one. Number two, I couldn't wait to read a newsletter that I subscribed to for, for radio uh, hosts and, and people on the inside of the baseball. And there was a, there was a, a newsletter coming out and it was going to feature an article on Jimmy Buffett. And I couldn't wait to read it, even though it was three and a half days after he had passed. So I guess my point is when you're practicing something that people want, or you put something into the world that is going to make other people feel good. There's always an audience and there's always people out there for you, even though Jimmy Buffett, for example, wasn't for everybody. Right. He was for millions of people. Right. And uh, this newsletter wasn't immediate, but I couldn't wait to read their take on his life and sort of a summation uh, of all of that. So anyway, I guess I'm making two points at once. I'm just really hoping the major point is that I hope you take a chance on yourself. I'm really glad you did, Michael, because uh, nobody picked you to go on air. You picked yourself. And you said, you know what? My opinions, you're going to hear them. I'm going to yeah. tell you. And not everybody likes your opinions. <laughs> That's the fact. <laughs> That's the fact. I mean, you read... You read your wife's newsletter, right? Yeah, I do. It's horrible. I mean, it's 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 horrific what happens there. Um, but Dog yeah, you're dukes. you're right. You you've got to find something, and, and you know, and I've found different creative outlets. Some are public, and some are not. I mean, I talked about it uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, I started doing um, like little dioramas and miniature painting and things like mm -hmm. that. And it wasn't because I wanted to post them out on the internet and say, look at how great I am. It was just a creative outlet for something. And you're right. I enjoyed every process of planning it and printing the pieces and then painting them and deciding how things are going. And, you know, it was just, again, part of that process that I found, I found joy in the process. I mean, it was nice to see it finish, mm -hmm. but I gave I did several big projects and I gave them away to people who I thought would appreciate them and enjoy them. I don't even have them anymore. All I have is fond memories and pictures, you know, and to me, that was like, that was cool. That was cool because the process is what I found enjoyable. And I think we miss that it, no matter what the creative 
thing is, is that the yeah. process, sometimes painful, sometimes rushed, sometimes stress-filled because you're on a deadline or whatever. But when it's all said and done, you look back and you go, oh, that was good. That was that the process was just as good as the destination because of what it made us feel during that time. So I guess the message is there's no sense in saying you're not good at something if you're not practicing it. So yeah. get busy. Well, you got to practice. It's a craft. Many things are a craft, not a profession, because a craft you have to continue to work at, right? You have to continue to uh, to sharpen the sword, so to speak, on those things. And it's interesting stuff. Chris, uh, folks can find you at ilovehomeralaska.com. You've got your radio show, your podcast. You're syndicating your, your radio show as well. You've got books. You're, I mean, you're a Renaissance kind of dude. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I love homeralaska.com is sort of the repository for everything I do. And by the way, I just talked to somebody the other day who listened to the Watchmen, a bit of a self-promotion here, but really it's about you because they, they didn't mention the writing. They mentioned the performance on audible, how much they loved it and it creeped them out. And, um, Anyway, but that's on that's on you. Thank okay. you, Michael. Well, it's it's only your words, my friend. Without those words, I couldn't bring it to life. It needs to be good stuff. So I appreciate that. Again, you can find him at I Love Homer Alaska, Chris Story, the man from Homer. Thank you, my friend. As always, it's great to speak with you. Thank you for being part of it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hold the line, Chris, for just a second. All right, folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, one final segment. We'll be back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break real quick. Chris Story is our guest. Um, I was just bringing it up, Chris, uh, uh, this thought uh, that I was having. And we actually had it last week because um, it was right after you you uh, you got off the segment, you hung up, and and I was like, you know, we, we should move this segment to be the final segment of the show, to leave people on a high note. Because the problem is about 80% of the time – Brad has been on the program and and he's brought up a topic or I've come up with some kind of topic at the top of the second hour and I've worked myself up into a little bit of a frenzy or whatever. I'm a little agitated. And then we get you come on and you are like the, you know, soothe the savage beast. And I'm like, oh, I feel so good. And then that last segment is such a hot mess because now I'm like, I was all worked up and I could go back to that, but I just don't feel like being worked up because now I'm caught. It's like, in between. I know it's like getting that good massage where you're all relaxed and you're like well now i just don't want to do anything but take a nap kind of thing you know it's like i need that fun so think about that maybe maybe in the future we if if you're uh, amenable maybe we put you into the final segment instead of that middle segment so that we can finish up on a positive instead of having this positivity segment and then kind of wandering in the wilderness for that last segment kind of thing but i also i do want to bring you on more often to talk about to get your take on things. You and I had a discussion here uh, uh, over the, I guess it was late last week. We were talking back and forth about, uh, uh, you know, Donald Trump and, and uh, 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 
so you you were criticized. You were said I was harshing on Trump or whatever, and then we were talking about who was going to be what. Anyway, I think it's an interesting take. I mean, you and I don't agree on everything, mm-hmm. and uh, and mm-hmm. I think that uh, I think it would be good to have a little counterpoint sometimes on some of those things and things that you do you and I do agree on, like the uselessness mm-hmm. of our senators, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, I'd love to. That that's wonderful. Thank you. And and moving to the final segment, that's absolutely fine. It's your call, and I'm I'm totally amenable and available wherever you tell me to 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 uh, to be ready. Just, um, yeah, but just thinking back about, can you imagine if the if if media, talk media, talk radio, were left into the hands of Air America? You remember how Air America failed? I mean, just oh, they failed. Yeah, they failed miserably. I remember we were talking about. That was back in the day. We were in Fairbanks. We were talking about, do we bring this on as a counterpoint? Do we try and, you know, because we wanted to try and be balanced and and reach out to every segment of the audience. And so do we, and we were watching it and uh, we were like, okay, we'll give it a little time to see. And it it imploded like, yeah, like within a year, yeah, within a year, the whole thing basically came unstuck. Uh, And it was like, okay, Uh, you know, so we never did bring any of the programming on, but you could see. Just imagine if. Radio would would be dead. I mean, if Rush Limbaugh wasn't who he was and and didn't resonate with the entire country back in 1988 and 89 when he began his network show, um, if it left to just Al Franken, there wouldn't be talk radio. AM radio wouldn't have been saved and the stations would have continued to implode just like newspapers are. And so that's kind of interesting that there was somebody brave enough with a local paper, like for example, Homer News um, became for two years, just a COVID watch, you know, COVID death count, COVID count, COVID hospitalization count. That was the sole reason for their existence um, for for years. And now it's it's just, it's nothing. I mean, if they were brave enough to actually have a dual track where people like Greg and people, conservative voices and conservative takes, people would go back to reading them and actually looking forward to getting the paper in mass versus just the, the hangers honors who are going to eventually dissipate. And it will, yeah. it, it's a dying breed, not because of the business model, but because of the way they're using it. That's my contention. And I think anytime you've seen radio do that, other than NPR, NPR continues to um, dominate continues to grow, but they yeah. also, yeah, they do, but they've also changed the way that they uh, approach it. So it's just interesting newspapers. If there was one, Alaska newspaper brave enough to take on an actual, you know, sort of like Lady Justice and be blind and just say, you know what, we're going to have conservatives and we're going to have the liberal point of view. I think they would prosper and thrive. I I would agree. We definitely would have a lot larger readership if there was even the appearance of Mm -hmm. a non-biased kind of thing. Like, yes, but radio is interesting because radio, even during the pandemic, you know, the everybody says, well, radio's dead. But radio provided mm-hmm. 94% of Americans tuned into radio all during the pandemic mm-hmm. and then beyond. And people spend something like 47 minutes an hour uh, or 47 minutes a day listening to radio. The average person, 47 minutes. That's a big chunk of your day. People are still listening mm-hmm. to radio. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. It, it has the immediacy. It has the locality of being, you know, hyper local. It can be it can be tuned hyper local. And I think that's what people want. Um, and quite honestly, I, I believe I'm passionate about that. I believe that's important as well. But like you said, you got to find you got to find the things that uh, that people want and express your creativity in that way. I think when you meet those two things together, that's where entrepreneurship really blooms. So, um, all right, man. Catch you later. Thank you so much, Chris Story. Appreciate you coming in and joining us. Um, Brad, Brian asked a question about syndication. 
um, which I guess I'll answer in the next segment because I got nothing else going on uh, except for some more news, um, some other stories. We're going to continue. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do it. Here we go. Right, uh, back to it. One final segment for today. Yeah, we just talked to Chris about moving the segment. You know, I was it was talking about it last week. I can't even remember what I was talking about last Tuesday, uh, right before we got to Chris. But I was all wound up about something, and I just remember I was all wound up about it, and I was oh, I was on fire with it. And then we got to Chris, and I was done with Chris, and I felt so I felt so mellow, and I just. I didn't want to go back to that. You know, sometimes it sometimes it feels good to get something off your chest, to rant away, you know, so to speak, a little bit. Uh, but then you get all mellowed out and you're like, dude, I really don't want to, oh, going to harsh my mellow, you know, kind of thing. And so I think we're probably going to move Chris to the final segment of the show uh, on the second hour of Tuesdays. Uh, there may be times when we take him at the bottom of the hour, maybe talk a little politics. Um, he and I got into a conversation uh, this last week via text message. We were talking about um, uh, the uh, 2016 election and Trump and uh, and how I was apparently he heard I was bad mouthing Trump on something. And I, of course, I wasn't bad mouthing him. I was just saying that sometimes you bring things on yourself. It wasn't necessarily a bad mouthing. It was just, you know, how the truth is I see it kind of thing. But we had an interesting interchange on that. And I thought, well, that'd be fun to do on the air. We should uh, we should do that more often where we have a little give and take. But I think we should always finish it up with a smoothing, uh, you know, pouring the oil on the water, so to speak, and smoothing things out. And uh, because it's always hard after we come out of a good, positive segment with Chris to try and really get back into a groove on things that we were upset about or whatever. Um, so anyway, I just think that that uh, I think that that's an interesting thing. Um, I want to talk about this, uh, uh, the sports thing with the uh, with the uh, Board of Education. Uh, but before I before I get to that, let me uh, go over here. Brian asked a question during the break because both Chris and I mentioned, uh, or Chris mentioned it, I guess, syndication to those of us who aren't in that world. Can you explain syndication to those of us who aren't in that world? Syndication simply means that you are selling your show to various radio stations or outlets across the country that they pay you uh, a fee or an advertising component or something that uh, allows them to carry your program on their station. Chris is trying to get his one-hour show. He has a one-hour weekend show that he's built based on kind of on top of the world and positivity and things like that. And he's trying to sell it to other stations across the state and across the country. And uh, so that's what the process of syndication is, um, just like this show is syndicated to play on radio stations and translators across the state of Alaska um, so that they all carry it, you know, together. So syndication is kind of like a, 
uh, it's not it's it's not like a franchise per se, but it's, it's that same kind of model of basically selling your show. Rush Limbaugh or one of the major news you know talk radio guys, they syndicate their their show to stations, hundreds of stations across the country, and each one of those stations pays you know either a small bit of cash or they pay in you know commercial barter time or whatever, and so that's what syndication is uh, overall. So that's uh, that's the that's the discussion. That's the explanation for syndication. So uh, when you hear about syndicated television shows, it's the same kind of thing. They're selling that show to a network, uh, and then later on they sell it to you know Nick at Night or somebody for repeats and reruns, and uh, that's what syndication is. So uh, can you define a small bit of cash? Uh, I can't really define a small bit of cash. When I say they trans, they, they syndicate it for a small bit of cash for each station. I'm saying proportionally, somebody like Rush Limbaugh was probably getting, you know, several thousand dollars from each station in cash or some kind of bartered where they could put their own advertising in the show on the local station. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's good. Okay, um, what was I coming back to? Oh, uh, I was coming back to the school board. Um, So the Board of Education uh, on Thursday um, voted to limit transgendered girls' participation in school sports. Now, they didn't eliminate it. They didn't say they couldn't participate. They just said that they couldn't participate in the girls' division of the sport. It was a vote of 7-1. to Um, when it was all said and done, what they did is they created a, they created, um, a a third division. So you have boys sports, girls sports, and then you basically, you have co-ed sport. They're not calling it co-ed sports, but basically, uh, the association plans to have two teams, one open to people who were assigned female at birth and one that is open to all students. And then the association, that's the Alaska School School Sports Association, ASSA, that they would have, or ASAA, the Alaska School Activities Association. They would then have a second team that was open to basically to all students. And the association would use birth certificates to check the student's sex assigned at birth if there is a question to it, which I, again, see as kind of that middle ground where it allows everybody to participate, but it doesn't force this unequal advantage of people who were born biologically male and physiologically have advantages over their biological female counterparts to be able to uh, to be able to participate in those sports. They're not trying about eliminating it. They're not but boy the hue and cry is just crazy. And the one lone vote against this on the school board was the student representative. And his name is Felix Myers. I find his commentary on this interesting. Let's just put it that way. Uh, this is from the Alaska. This is from the Alaska Beacon. Claire Strempel uh, is uh, it writes this. She says, "Student representative." Fee- okay, so first of all, I guess let me set that up. Um, they introduced a non-binding resolution related to the issue in March of this year. Lori Van Deest, who introduced it, said uh, she gave a litany of examples of men's athletic superiority over women, physiological superiority over women. But student representative Felix Myers disagreed. Here's what he said. He said the body 
was mistakenly discussing the ideas of men participating in women's sports rather than the issue of trans women participating in women's sports. And I, I, I just, I think, I think he missed the whole point of this. Okay. Uh, you know, you've got a, you've got a trans woman. Okay, fine. They, they, but they were biologically born a male. That's the definition of somebody who feels like they're, you know, gender dysphoria or whatever. They're trapped in the wrong body. They're actually a female. But the body, the base material is still a male physiology. You still have all the baked in advantages physiologically over of a male over a woman. Stronger, you know, more, more, uh, it has more endurance. I mean, just all these things that are generally acknowledged that that's what's going on between these two things. But he's like, no, no, you're mistakenly discuss- discussing the idea of men participating in women's, in women's sports rather than the issue of trans women's participating. In. He, What was his suggestion instead? He suggested the board look at educating coaches on how to identify eating disorders and the issue of funding parity for travel and equipment if it wants to support girl sports. Not that there's an unfair advantage baked into this whole thing. It's that he, you know, it should be identifying eating dis. First of all, that's kind of sexist. Why are you identifying eating disorders only in girl sports? If it, I mean, should, I mean, you know, and then the issue of funding parity for travel teams. We don't have time to discuss. I'm out of time. Folks, thanks for coming in. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. I ran the clock out on that one. I'm just wrapping my brain around this whole thing. This thing is just uh, is just nutty. Uh, I, I this is the student this is the student representative. We're mistakenly discussing the idea of men participating in women's sports rather than the issue of trans women. But trans women were men at one point. I don't think we can disagree with that, right? That's not a that's not a that's not a, uh, a disputed issue. They were biologically at one point men. So discussing men participating in women's sports is still relevant to that. I I just, I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. All right, well, we're out of time. I ran the clock out on that one. We will see you guys tomorrow for Wednesday. Thanks for coming in and joining us. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Have a good one.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 